Hi, Emily. Uh, Jennifer, how is it going today? It is a bright and beautiful day in Austin, and I've had a week off, and for the entire week I've had a cold. Oh no, I, okay, I, it is eight degrees in Colorado, uh, <laughs> although it is bright, uh, and I got food poisoning. So that's awesome. I know, I, my family did Christmas in Santa Fe before Christmas, and I got food poisoning and threw up so much, so much. But was it accompanied by diarrhea? That's what everybody really wants to know. It wasn't. I know. It wasn't. But listen, now we've got this out of the way, and we need not bring up that uh, substance again. Oh, I doubt that we'll be able to make it through this podcast without talking about poop again. So, I know that no one believes me, but I really don't do it on purpose. She does. She totally does it on purpose. (laughs) Uh, Also, one of my friends... uh, a good friend of mine that I grew up with, Michaela, hey girl, uh, sent me a goat ornament. <laughs> Wait. And it's... No, go ahead, go ahead. It's uh, very satanic. Like, I actually texted her, uh, thank you for the goat ornament. It's really cute. It has satanic eyes. And she just replied back, LOL, I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least she she's aware. Yeah, I don't know that she listens to this podcast, I think maybe she just sent it to me because she was like, Emily likes Satan. <laughs> well, there you go. If any anyone is looking to gift Emily anything, just make sure it's slightly satanic. Yeah, I will also say over Christmas, I don't remember how we started talking about this, but we were talking about like malaria and mosquitoes, my family and I. And my brother, like we were talking about how mosquitoes don't serve any any role in like the ecosystem like there's no animal that relies on mosquitoes like if we eliminated them you know is that true nature would go yeah yeah i've heard it a couple times i've read it that like anything that eats mosquitoes also eats other things and they don't play a key role in an ecosystem and my brother goes yeah they do it's population control for humans and i was like oh my god sam that's so dark That's where I get it from. (laughs) I mean, but seriously, uh, mosquitoes are the deadliest. Like, they've killed more humans than any other animal. Even other humans, probably. But have Um, they killed more humans in car accidents? Yeah, they've killed more humans than anything that kills humans, I think. Hmm. Well, okay, you know, this is... I was going to save this for an episode where I talk about this exclusively, but I'll trot it out because it's, like, the best thing I've learned in the last year. But malaria, which is transmitted by uh, mosquitoes and is quite deadly to humans, there are some estimates that of all the humans who have ever lived, like from the beginning of humans to now, half of them have been killed by malaria. Okay, that's pretty crazy. Isn't that insane? That is just like... Malaria is fucking scary. Yeah, yeah. But that's not what my story is about. That's just a fact that I love to tell everyone at any time (laughs) and everyone's like please stop please stop telling us these things and i'm like but malaria uh (laughs) so this is where i get to apologize to clint real quick because i will be coughing and sneezing during this so have fun editing that out sorry Uh, i'm not sorry i'm glad sorry i'm holding back a sneeze right now just 
Just let it go. No, yeah. I gotta control it. Just be natural. I have to control my sneezes. If I don't control the sneezes, then what do I have control in in this world? I mean, your poop. See, li- hopefully, I did not bring. Hopefully. I did not bring it up. You brought it up. You brought it up. I tried to get it out of the way early, but no, you had to bring up the poop. <laughs> okay, take us away from poop and malaria, Jennifer. Tell me a story. So I'm gonna talk to you about Sylvia Likens. Oh no! <laughs> oh, this is the fucking worst thing on earth. It is such a sad story, and um, it was also one I learned about. When I was pretty young. Oh, no. And, you know, it's like one of those stories that sort of, like, just imprint on your brain, so. It really is. Poor baby Jennifer. And, uh, you know, I did live in Indiana for a while, so I get to bring it all together here. So, Sylvia Likens was born in January of 1949. She was the third of five children. That's a lot of children. Diana and Danny were her older siblings, and they were fraternal twins. And Jenny and Benny were her younger siblings, and they were her fraternal twins. Or, they were fraternal what? twins. So, Diana and Weird. Danny, fraternal twins. Jenny and Benny, fraternal twins. And the and the child born right in the middle of them doesn't have a fraternal twin. Oh, man. If it isn't already hard enough to be the middle child. Right. The, she's very middle child. Yeah. Um, what? Are you the middle child? No, I am the eldest. What? I thought your sister was older than you. Nope, my sister is younger, and my brother is technically the middle child. Oh, yeah, I'm the oldest, too. The, uh, you know, being the oldest kid is, like, the best, but that's just my opinion. It is. Uh, is, what is Daniel? He's the baby of two. Ah, Taylor is the baby, too. Well, sort of. He has a a sister who was adopted when he was 13, so he's basically the baby of two as well. How did that happen? We're twins. <laughs> I know. And I have a younger brother and a younger sister too. That's appropriate. We're just we're just becoming more and more the same person. <laughs> we lead separate but parallel lives, basically. That's true. What if we like Clint's like, I wanna meet Jennifer, I wanna meet Jennifer, and then he never meets you and he's like, Wait, this is a split personality just talking to itself. <laughs> that that is a that that is a plausible theory. Good twist. <laughs> Our voices aren't so dissimilar. So I know. And right yeah. now you could be outing your alternate personality. Well, yeah, but is it or is it a clever subterfuge that because I brought it up, it couldn't possibly be true. I mean, obviously it's not true. Yeah. Yeah, no. Absolutely not. There's no way. Okay. <laughs> so back I, to Celia. Listen, Oh. Yeah, I I am just being a real uh, wanderer off the story because this is a real bummer. Yeah, well, I mean, we're gonna need some levity for this one, I think. All right, um, I'll do my best. So she was born from her well, her parents were Elizabeth Francis, she goes by Betty, and Lester Cecil Likens. Uh, both oh. uh, uh, both Betty and Lester had pretty unstable work histories. Um, they were carnival workers, primarily. They, this what? W- oh, go ahead. Carnival workers? <clears throat> really? Yeah, Lester sold food at food concessions at carnivals. Wow. That doesn't... Okay. But basically, they had here and there jobs. Yeah. Um, they were a poor family. The marriage was also unstable. Jenny had gotten polio, 
uh, as a child. Oh. And uh, her parent, Sylvia's parents, would board the kids, typically the relatives, so that their schoolwork wouldn't suffer because, of course, like, Lester and Betty were chasing jobs. You know, it's really hard doing well in school if, like, you're moving from town to town following a, a carnival or something like that. So sure. whenever they were working, kids would go away. So... July 1965, at this point, the parents were separated. Um, again, they were working odd jobs. Sylvia and Jenny were living with Betty at the time. Uh, Betty ended up getting arrested for shoplifting. Aww. Uh, Lester had found some work at a carnival, so the parents decided with this series of events that they were going to take some time to work on their marriage, and they were going to go out and do this carnival work. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a cliche for a reason when your marriage is in trouble, get carnival jobs together i mean obviously so you can yeah, it's win the love of your life that teddy bear that she's always wanted and then all your problems are solved yep. and funnel cake i mean l- let's be honest what does funnel cake not solve oh my god i mean so i don't know if you have these in the carnivals uh in the east but if you have never experienced this you should go to a carnival or a fair in Texas, because I guarantee they have it, Indian fry bread, which is basically funnel cake. It's fried dough, but then they put, like, chili beans and, like, taco stuff on top. Oh my God, yes, so I've good. had I've had the fry bread before, and I love it. It's amazing. Anyway, uh, so they're working on their marriage over yes, some fried dough. Yes, they're working dough. on their marriage, winning teddy bears, eating funnel cake, and probably, like, some deep-fried banana and some other deep-fried things. Oh, my God. I know, now I just really want funnel cake. I'm sorry, but... I'm getting really <laughs> hungry. I'm like, could I fry something in my Listen, kitchen today? You, so I texted Emily earlier, and I was like, you ready to do this thing? And she was like, let me make myself a snack. And I was sitting here the whole time going, I don't think I need a snack. I obviously need a snack, because now I'm just obsessed with funnel cake. Listen, as someone who spent a week with no appetite and not being able to eat anything except crackers, you always eat the snack. You never know when you'll get food poisoning and or die. Eat the snack. Or get dysentery. Uh, yeah. Oh, good God. So at this time, Diana was married, so didn't really have to worry about where to put Diana. Danny and Benny were staying with their grandparents, so that really sure. left figuring out where Sylvia and Jenny go. Now this time we're talking about Indianapolis, Indiana. Lester and Betty were introduced to Gertrude... And I'm going to really butcher this last name, so again, I feel like this needs to be a hashtag, like hashtag Jennifer can't pronounce things, but Banaszewski, Gertrude Banaszewski, who is also known as Gertrude Wright. Gertrude Uh-oh. had seven kids. Listen, anytime, anytime there's an also known as, it is not good. Like, if you have an alias, there's some shady shit going down. So, uh, one of her married name... One is her maiden name, and she, so she's had, like, a couple of failed marriages, I think, at this point, and a couple of failed relationships. Um, she has seven kids. That's too many kids. And these ages are approximate, um, the internet gives, the inter- the internet <laughs> has different- a series of tubes has told me this answer. <laughs> has different ages for all these kids, like, all the ages are in- in conflict with each other. So basically, they're still close to about the same range. So these are approximates, right? Uh, Paula was yeah. the oldest. She was 17. Stephanie 
was uh, 15, John was 12, Marie was 11, Shirley was 10, James was 8, and Dennis Lee Wright Jr. was just a few months old. Oh, baby. So, Gertrude agreed to watch Sylvia and Jenny for 20 bucks a week. Talk about, like, a babysitting deal. Yeah, I guess that would have been, what, 1965? I guess that would have it's good money. covered food for them or something. I don't know. Math. Well, I mean, it was it was decent money. I mean, that's yeah, that's eighty dollars a month. And Gertrude herself was not necessarily necessarily well off. She also was poor. I'm sorry. She has seven kids. That's fucking expensive. Yes, seven kids, single parent. That's so many kids. How does that? Just... How does anyone do it? I don't know. I I mean, listen. I think like. One kid is possibly too many kids uh, around me at any one given time. Seven is just like, give up, live in a zoo. You guys are in charge. <laughs> I don't... I'll bring home noodles. So it was kind of like that, which I want to talk about. Lester, who is really kind of the ringmaster. Ha, see what I did there? hey <laughs> Dad joke of the day. Um, he was really the one in charge of sorting out the living situation for um, Sylvia and Jenny, and he did not look into living conditions at all. Didn't really investigate Gertrude at all. So the inside of the house was pretty spare. Um, apparently there were very few dishes, like somebody was talking about, I think it was one of the kids, John, was talking about how there was like one spoon for a while. What? Um, <laughs> one yes, spoon? Yes, <laughs> one spoon. Oh and my god. He had also mentioned he was really surprised that anyone would allow her to watch kids because she had a reputation of basically being a nasty woman and being Oh no. uh having a bit of a temper. I when I was growing up I had a good friend who had four siblings, so they were five kids. And I hung out at her house a lot and um, I had not remembered that this was a thing until you said one spoon, but they had so much silverware. Like, I mean, they must have bought like three packs of a set or something because logically when you have seven people in a house, like you're going to go you through a lot of silverware. 100 forks. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I, I had this like, mental image of pulling open a drawer and seeing all their massive amounts of silverware and now I'm just imagining that same like beautiful lovely home where they always had vanilla and chocolate off-brand Oreo cookies that everybody hated except for me uh and <laughs> okay those and cookies are legit nasty and seeing one spoon oh everybody hated it they were western family brand and the chocolate ones they would like the chocolate ones but they didn't like the vanilla ones i love them and we never had cookies at my house and so they'd be like oh emily is here she'll eat all the vanilla cookies <laughs> <laughs> you you served a purpose emily i i did a great service <laughs> family so uh, basically what's up jenna <laughs> truths are coming out today <laughs> first truth oh, i love vanilla Emily, fucking offer and cookies always a humanitarian <laughs> oh man so basically gertrude had a reputation for not being necessarily a super great person hmm. 
She, the living conditions in the house were questionable. And uh, the other thing that's important to note here that will play into the story later on is that her house was also kind of had this reputation for being like the neighborhood hangout place. Like kids would just go and be in that house and hang out. That's an odd combination of mean woman neighborhood hangout. It's interesting. It's going to get very interesting. Mm. So, the early weeks were good for Sylvia and Jenny. You know, they did normal kid stuff. Like, they hung out outside. They listened to music. Sylvia helped around the house. Nice. Which, apparently, she had done in the past. It was her thing. She liked helping around houses, and I think it was sort of something she got paid for previously. Hmm. Resourceful. Resourceful. However, the next week rolls around, and the check doesn't arrive on the expected day. So Gertrude punished the girls. Apparently she took them upstairs, slapped the shit out of them, and said something to the effect of, I've been taking care of you two bitches for nothing. What? Yes. And then the check arrived the following day. Oh my goodness. But, like, it's like one of those tipping point things or the floodgates being opened. At that point, Gertrude just started beating the children. She would beat Jenny and Sylvia for doing things she didn't approve of, like cashing in Coke bottles for for money, um, accuse oh, them of no. stealing A and beating dollar. them. Yeah. She just she just beat the shit out of them whenever whenever she felt like it and she had all kinds of accusations and when she was too tired or too sick to do it, she would have Paula. Remember Paula, she's the oldest, around seventeen. So what, she's- 17? Oh, no. Yeah, she would have Paula. So I want to run through these ages again. 17, 15, 12, 11, 10, 8, and a few months old. So, eventually, Gertrude uh, just started focusing her rage on Sylvia. She isolated her. People theorized it was because Jenny had polio and she was already sort of um, debilitated to some degree, so some weird form of mercy or consideration. That's weird. You would think it would go the other way with a nasty woman. Nope. Apparently she doesn't pick on kids with polio. Just... Hmm. I guess everybody has a line. (laughs) Right. So what followed after Gertrude just decided Sylvia was going to be her target was an unbelievable amount of torture. Hmm. And she would encourage her children and the neighborhood children to participate, which they did. Um, Also, she had forced Jenny on a couple occasions to partake in the torture. Mm. And if Jenny didn't do it, she threatened to hurt her as well. It's such a sad story. So I am going to go through basically the list of things that Sylvia went through. Mm. During this part of her life. Just want to point out, you know, we're talking about July here. This is, this is basically what they subjected her to. So if you, if you're not into this stuff, boop, 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 boop. Yeah, you should stop listening now because it's, it's pretty fucking terrible. Yeah, or, or skip, just skip right ahead. Yep. So neighborhood kids would practice judo on her. So they would hurl her against the wall. Oh my God. Um, she had food and water withheld from her. And eventually she was only provided crackers and some water. So she started starving to death. Um, They would put her in chokeholds 
They would knock her unconscious. Uh, one of the favorite ways of knocking her unconscious was with a broom. A broom? Mm-hmm. What the fuck? They just hit her in the back of the head? Yep. Jeez, you'd have to hit someone hard. So, I think it was John. Actually, it was a couple people would force her to eat feces and drink her urine. <gasps> no! Um, Gertrude would extinguish cigarettes on her skin, and eventually all of the kids started doing that. Oh, my God. Paula used her as a punching bag. Um, she actually hit Sylvia so hard one time that she broke her own hand, and when she got her cast, she beat her with the cast. Jesus Christ. Um, she was branded, uh, by a metal object. Oh, my God. She was forced to take scalding baths. And um, Gertrude would then run, rub salt and lemon on her burns and wounds from the scalding bath. What? Gertrude started a rumor that Sylvia was promiscuous and pregnant and then would constantly torture her with that information. And then also she had the other kids tell her that she hated her and they all basically provided a great deal of emotional abuse. Jeez. They, she burned her fingers with matches. She was forced to strip naked several times. She was forced to perfor- uh, perform lewd acts, including what is probably most famous is inserting a glass Coke bottle into her vagina <gasps> two times. Oh my god, this is just terrible. I'm not done. Oh no. Her genital area was hit and kicked multiple times, and in fact it was done so many times that she s- sustained so many injuries that once... Uh, People were looking at her body, uh, just couldn't believe, like, how much swelling and how much damage was done down there. Oh, my God. Um, her injuries actually caused her to lose control of her bladder and bowels, so she started peeing and, you know, defecating on herself. Gertrude decided at that point that she is going to be stripped naked, and they tied her up in the basement, and that was where she was kept indefinitely she was not permitted access to a toilet. Uh, she was constantly pushed down the basement stairs. At one point, Gertrude decided to brand into her skin using hot needles. I am a prostitute and proud of it. So they scratched that into her skin with hot needles. Jesus Christ. And um, when she got too tired of writing it, Ricky Hobbs, one of the neighborhood kids, finished the job for her. Ugh. So, that's what she went through. So she started in July. Just want to point that out. It's going to be important um, because Gertrude sensed that Sylvia was not doing very well and forced Sylvia to write a letter to her parents saying that she performed sexual acts with a group of boys and that her her injuries are their fault. Uh, <laughs> yuck. Now, at some point, a social worker did come to the house because they received an anonymous call. People believe that Diana, her sister, had came to visit and then was concerned about the conditions that the kids were in. Oh, good. And called social workers. Problem was, is I think Diana was estranged for her family and forbid forbidden to see her siblings. So there's that whole weird family yeah. dynamic, too. Oh, no. But basically, uh, there was also a report that there was a... Sylvia was running around with sores on her body. Yeah, well, no kidding. So Gertrude... So listen to this. This is what Gertrude said to the social worker. And this is the 17-year-old, right? 
No, Gertrude is the caretaker. Oh, the mama. Paula is a 17-year-old, yeah. Paula, okay. She goes, well, Sylvia does have sores because she has poor hygiene. And then she told the social worker that Sylvia doesn't live there anymore. She was thrown out of the house because she was a prostitute. Sylvia is literally in the basement during this time. Yeah. Uh, this This is one of those things that, like, if it happened in a movie, you'd be like, all right, overkill. This isn't believable. But it's very much real life. Yeah, but it's real. So the social worker was like, okay, that was it. Mm. So Sylvia apparently overheard Gertrude planning to dump Sylvia in the woods and taught her kids like an alibi. So upon hearing this, so it wasn't like she was going to like murder her and dump her out there. She was just going to throw her out in the woods. Maybe she'd die of exposure kind of thing. Right. Maybe she'd die, but probably she's going to die. So on October 25th, so remember she was there in July. This is October. She's been going through this. Six months. She's been going through this for that long. Yeah. She tried to escape. Well. And she made it? She got out the front door before Gertrude caught her. She was beaten with a curtain rod and thrown down into the basement stairs. She was tied up. No. Beaten until she was unconscious. She tried to get up, but she collapsed on the floor. And where she collapsed, Gertrude crushed her head with her feet and just stood there. Ah! Oh my god. On October 26th, Sylvia died. She was 16 years old. Jesus Christ. Stephanie, uh, one of the kids, and Richard, a neighborhood kid who partook in the torture and beating of Sylvia, discovered her body and tried to resuscitate her. Gertrude, upon seeing this, stated that she was faking it, and after a while they discovered... Or Gertrude decided that she was actually dead. So what they did is they gave her a bath. They dressed her and put her on the mattress. Oh, that makes it better. Yeah, totally. Jesus fucking Christ. Gertrude called the police and handed them the letter she forced Sylvia to write. Hmm. She told the police... They're like, seems legit. So it's kind of funny because there's there's two accounts of this. There is the police were ready to walk out and by the story because they were Mm -hmm. so shocked by the scene and then there is the police had eyebrows up over it interesting don't know the truth but gertrude told the police that sylvia had come back to the house after a sex session with a group of boys a sex session (laughs) that's like a a session musician like you know who who's in the studio playing whatever instrument you need a sex session i'm i'm playing whatever sex instrument you need I've got a sesh. It's going to be like five people. No big deal. (laughs) She is. Like, Gertrude is really obsessed with, like, this girl who basically, from all accounts, evidence, never had sex, couldn't be pregnant, obviously just just a girl. She's really obsessed with this girl, like, having group sex with boys. Yeah, there are... I feel like that there are a lot of like conservative and I don't mean Republican I just mean like conservative throughout history people who who do get this weird obsession with like sex and remaining pure and it just like kind of warps their brain into like be cruel to people's bodies like yeah it's weird right yeah I don't really get why you care what other people are doing with their bits unless you want to get in on that bits business. Um, yes, to those otherwise. people, I say go have an orgy. I mean, like, why do you care? It's not <laughs> your butt and butt accessories. <laughs> <laughs> butt accessories. 
butt accessories. I mean, everybody has a butt, and then, you know, the add-ons vary. (laughs) (laughs) Every human comes standard with a butt. Yeah, well, hopefully. (laughs) As As we've uncovered in this podcast, the butt performs a very important function. (laughs) (laughs) It's not just for dysentery. Uh, Yeah, I mean... Anyway. She tells them that Sylvia came back to the house after having sex with a bunch of boys, and that the boys followed her home, mutilated her, her and killed her. Mm. Can we just sit and talk about this story that she came up with for a little bit? Because, like, okay... Let's set aside the fact that the probability of that girl being a prostitute and also having sex with a gang of boys being highly unlikely. Yeah, it doesn't seem like a sustainable business model. Right. And not only (laughs) that, like, the boys got what they want, you know? You know, if you're in the sex business, like, people just want to fuck, right? So, like, why why are these boys following her back? You know, were they unsatisfied with... Give us our money back. The I exchange? want to speak to your manager. <laughs> right. And and then and then they mutilated her and killed her. How? Because as far as I understand, Gertrude doesn't have a job and nor do any of those other kids. And there's constantly people in and out of that house. So how the fuck do they mutilate, like torture somebody and then kill them without drawing attention to the fact that there are like strange boys in the house and there's like screaming and shit going on upstairs. How do you miss that? Yeah, that's a good question. So basically Gertrude came up with the dumbest fucking thing in the world that just like satisfied this weird fantasy that she had created in her head because Gertrude, by the way, is a piece of shit. (laughs) What? I, and I'm okay with saying that, and I'm okay with... I'm kidding. That's not a surprise. Any, <laughs> any possible family member that might still be alive in the world, yes, Gertrude is a piece of shit, and I'll say it to your face. So, Jenny, at the time, so, Sylvia's sister, who, by the way, I didn't really mention, um, Sylvia and Jenny were super close. Oh. Jenny approached the police and said, get me out of here, and I'll tell you everything. Oh, gosh, that poor girl. Gertrude, Paula, Stephanie, John, Richard Hobbs, and Coy Hubbard were all arrested for murder. Well, that's good. Other people involved, and this is just some of the people, it's not everybody. Mike Monroe, Randy Leeper, Darlene McGuire, Judy Duke, and Cisco were arrested for injury to person. Jeez. Also, Judy Duke is like the most 1950s name I've ever heard. For real. <laughs> you know, so I want to pause here. And point out that these are not all of Gertrude children, Gertrude's children. No. They didn't all get arrested. And these are not all of the neighborhood kids that were involved. Mm. For the group of people that I stated previously, just the list of neighborhood kids, most of those charges were dropped. May 19, 1966, Gertrude was convicted of first-degree murder and sentenced to life in prison. I mean, that's good. She was, she was granted an appeal, but she was convicted again. She never expressed any type of remorse, and on the occasions that she had been asked to talk about it, she had been stated to saying stuff like, I didn't know what was going on, to I had to teach her a lesson. Oh my god. When she was indicted, she originally tried to claim insanity. She also immediately tried to blame the kids. She denied having any knowledge 
of the torture and blamed it on children. It's just like, they must have done it because I wouldn't know. I would never do such a thing because Gertrude is a piece of shit. It's weird. I, I feel like there are, like, this discussion comes up a lot on other podcasts and people who do, like, serial killers and, like, to what extent do you believe your own bullshit if you are a person like Gertrude? And at what point are you just saying these things? And Gertrude does really sound like someone who... I, it doesn't sound like she's being crafty to get out of trouble. I mean, it sounds like her inside her brain, that reality is not the same as everyone else's reality. Oh, yeah. I mean, she's clearly pretty fucked up, but it doesn't change the fact that she's a piece of shit. Yeah. Well, and the other thing that's really terrifying about this story, I hope I'm not stepping on your toes, is there are a lot of people. Oh, d- nope. We're going to stop. Oh, okay. I'll get there. <laughs> You're like, shut the fuck up. God. Shut up, and like, God. You are stepping on my toes. So, Gertrude, the piece of shit, was released on parole in 1985. No. And she died five years later, (gasps) in 1990, of lung cancer. I mean, lung cancer is a bad way to go, so, okay. So, what's nice, though, is that there was pretty much a huge protest held outside the prison, and there was, like, a petition for, that was signed by, like, 4,000-something people uh, opposed to Gertrude's release. She still got released, but the community still felt what happened Mm -hmm. to Sylvia and still was strongly opposed to her release, but she got released. She was, like, a dead mother in prison and, like, good behavior, and people fucking called her mom and that kind of shit, but, you know. That's unsettling. Maybe they just didn't realize how much of a piece of shit Gertrude was. I imagine that maybe in prison you don't talk a lot about what got you into prison in the first place. Well, you know, prisons have a reputation of not liking people who hurt children, but... That's true. Yeah. Did mother piece of shit died of lung cancer. And she died in, I don't know, she was like 50-something, 1990? Yikes, that wasn't that long ago. Someone can do the math on that. I'm not mathing. I'm, I've got way too much pseudoephedrine and mucinex. Didn't, he, didn't you say she, she got out in 1985 and she yes. died five years later? <laughs> That's like the easiest math of all. Even I can do that math. <laughs> no, I meant like how old she was. I, I know she died in like 1990. Oh. No, I'm not oh, fucking no, doing absolutely that. absolutely not. I understand <laughs> it. I have it written down right here. Lung cancer, 1990. <laughs> there we go. But she had apparently changed her name to like Nadine Van Fossing. Oh, wow. Okay. And either moved to Iowa or Utah or Iowa and Utah, but... That's what she did. She changed her name, and she died of lung cancer. That's a fussy name change going on there. Paula, the 17-year-old who mm-hmm. was also a primary person in, her, in Sylvia's torture and murder, was convicted of second-degree murder, and she was sentenced to life. She was granted an appeal, and instead of going through another trial, she decided to plead to voluntary manslaughter, and she only served two years. <gasps> oh, my God. Oh, she was 17, though. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. I hope she got a lot of therapy. She was one year older than the girl that she helped murder. Yeah. Oh, that's sad. Paula married and moved to Iowa. In 2012, she emerged in the headlines again because she was discovered working as a teacher aide. No way. Paula also had children of her own. Mm. She did end up getting fired. 
And all the kids that had worked with her were like, I never knew that Paula was this person that did the thing because she was always, like, super nice to us and I never got the sense that she would smash my face in. Yeah, how did she not have to have a background check? Yeah, well... Well, if she's a minor, it wouldn't show up. No, she went to prison, so that would show up. She just lied on her job application and she was living in small town nowhere and small town nowhere didn't do a very thorough check. I guess so, yeah. No, man. Hmm. Yikes. So Paula, the daughter of dead mother piece of shit, only had to do two years. Well, listen, you know, I believe that you can be rehabilitated and when people come out of prison, they need jobs and workplaces. But if you were in prison for a crime against a child, maybe you shouldn't be working with children. You don't get to work with kids. Yeah. Yeah. And this is important because I'm going to tell you about some career choices of other people in here, too. No! Richard Hobbs, Coy Hubbard, and John Benesiewski, sorry, it's hard to say that last name, were convicted of manslaughter, and they were sentenced to 2 to 21 years. They were released in 1968, roughly, each serving roughly two years for for good behavior. So, Richard Hobbs, the person who helped etch in I Am a Prostitute, and proud of it, who judo kicked her and threw her against the wall and put her in chokeholds, did two years. Coy Hubbard, who did a whole bunch of fucking unspeakable bullshit, did two years. And John, who forced her to eat feces, did two years. Uh, John became a minister. Uh, Eventually, he was a church deacon. Now, John, at the time, was about 12 years old. And he went to, like, state reformatory. He didn't go to, like, prison proper, but... He became a church deacon. Yeah, 12 is a little too young to be understanding what's happening. Yep. Like, at all. (laughs) Paula was 17. Paula knew what the fuck was going on. Yeah. Stephanie was 15. She is also at that age where, like, maybe she has a sense of right and wrong. John was 12. And from what I understand, both Coy and Richard were a little bit older. So they're they're not dumb. Uh, well, I mean, obviously they're dumb, but they weren't <laughs> dumb to the fact of what they're doing is kind of wrong. Yeah, they weren't uh, unaware. So, um, so John became a church deacon. He counseled kids, I think, for kids who had divorced parents. He also is the only child from Gertrude that spoke openly about what happened to Sylvia, what that experience was like. He actually kind of admonished the justice system. He said in a 1998 interview, I got off too easy. Wow. He died of cancer at the age of 52. I mean, that's something that I think I find really admirable, I guess, that he's talking about this openly and taking responsibility and... You know, you you don't get to decide, oh, I've suffered. I'm never going to speak of this again. I mean, that's, I don't know. That's a really intense thing. Well, and he was pretty open. I read excerpts of things that he said. Like, he was talking about how he liked seeing Sylvia cry. Yeah. So he would burn her with the cigarettes. And he also talked about how his mother was just a mean woman. It was almost like, I mean, you know, the whole cycle of abuse thing. It's like you live with an abuser, you become an abuser. He had the opportunity with Sylvia to be an abuser, taught abuse. Sure. Well, and that idea of like you interact with other people through a paradigm of like control and punishment. And that's how it works. And 
it makes sense that at a young age you would engage with that and but to then become an adult and be like no that wasn't right and i mean to take the adults in the criminal justice system to task that shows a lot of bravery and like willingness to like consider your own culpability yeah he became a big proponent for how people can be rehabilitated mm-hmm. but he's interesting he's an interesting character so yeah paula married started working with kids had kids John, I think, also had kids, but he were also worked with kids and was a church deacon. Stephanie, now remember, this was the 15-year-old. Mm-hmm. Stephanie agreed to testify against her family, so she turned state witness wow. uh, in exchange for her freedom, and she moved to Florida and became a teacher. Oh, this is so weird that they all ended up working with kids. Richard Hobbs, the one who likes to do judo. The one that likes to do judo. Oh my god. And helped carve that into Sylvia. He died of cancer, of lung cancer, at the age of 21. Whoa. Which is four years after he was released. Oh, that's young. So, so far, lots of cancer and lots of working with kids. Yeah, weird trends going on here. Coy Hubbard basically remained a criminal throughout his life, and I couldn't really find out whether he was alive or dead, but I did come across an obituary for for a Coy Hubbard who lived in the area, was of the age range, and seemed to have the same parents. So probably him. So Coy Hubbard might be dead. Hmm. In fact, I'm pretty sure he is dead, but... Lester and Betty divorced. Betty died at 71, and Jenny, Sylvia's sister, died... In 2004, at the age of 54. Oh my gosh. So, these people, you know their fates. They got to live out their life to some degree. Some of them died at 21 at lung cancer. Sylvia liked the Beatles, and she enjoyed roller skating. She was super, super close to her sister, Jenny. Mm. And she died at the age of 16. Jesus. So, besides all the shit that I just said that was really fucking awful, this is what makes this terrifying to me. The abuse was a form of entertainment Yeah. to Gertrude and the children and the neighborhood children, and Gertrude was the person who made it happen. Now, these are all kids that may not have ever done anything like this, but because of Gertrude, these kids all murdered a 16-year-old girl. Yeah. Anyone who did any type of torture to that girl also murdered that girl. And there were young kids. There were some, I think the youngest one involved was 10 years old. Oh my God. Well, there were plenty of adults. Adults kept going in and out of the house. They all saw Sylvia and no one took the time to make sure she was okay. No one helped her. Yeah. The children in the neighborhood never said anything to their parents or to any other adult figure. Sylvia and Jenny had opportunities to also tell adults when they were going to church or doing whatever but they were too afraid. They were, at this point, been beaten into submission. They were too afraid to say anything. Yeah. The, like, psychological manipulation of, like, Gertrude obviously being a piece of shit, but then this idea of, like, all these bystanders or participants sort of getting swept up in it, um, or this idea of, like, oh, she says it's fine, so it must be fine, or oh, yeah, you know, this is cool. That that's what's really terrifying is this idea of, like, you know, we can sit here and be really horrified, but the inaction of the adults and the action of, of small people who have been manipulated um, is, is also really terrifying. Yeah, and I was, I was reading this one thing, and somebody said something very poignant, which was, like, people always like to chalk this up to being, like, kids being unruly, but really these were kids doing what they were told to do. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and it is that idea, too, of, 
I think you said that they were too afraid and beaten into submission. And I think we talked about this a little bit with the Pocahontas one, but like, you know, if you are in an abusive or an abnormal or, or, you know, an otherwise threatening situation, your brain is going to go, okay, shut down everything. Let's just survive. Yep. And especially if you are a vulnerable person for some reason, you are a child, you are small, you are whatever, you know, that's going to be really strong. And it's easy for us to judge, but that's, that's real. And, you know, evil people will take advantage of that. Well, and, you know, it's like, um, I feel like we've kind of come across this conversation before, but it's like, children don't have any rights. Right, like, she, Sylvia was at the mercy of her parents who can't get their shit together. Her dad didn't do the work he should have done to make sure that that kid was going into a safe home when she was in a dangerous place. She she couldn't get out of it. Like, what recourse does she have? Because if she ran away, she would just be sent back? Sure. Well, and I mean, I I would hope that things have changed a little bit since, you know, the 70s, 80s, 90s, I guess. We're looking at 70s era they were released in the 80s and 90s but I'm a college teacher and you know I'm I'm in my early 30s I have colleagues who are in 10 20 30 years older than me who are like we coddle these kids too much and I'm like uh what are you talking about I've had you know freshmen I teach freshmen and sophomores so we're talking about 19 and 20 year old kids who are crying in my office because they had a bad breakup and it's destroying them or their boyfriend has hit them or they've been sexually assaulted or they have to support their family or like these are real things. And, you know, I've had a couple of times where some like a student is just acting weird and I'm like, hey, is everything OK with you? Like I feel as an adult that an adult working with children and I say children for 19 to 20 year olds, it is partly my job to one, treat them with respect and teach them, but also like be aware of the way that they could be assailed by these forces outside of their control and just being aware of that and being willing to step in and say here are resources on campus you can talk to me it's important that you're safe that is something that I feel people my age are very that's just par for the course of my job and you know some of my older colleagues who probably came of age around the same time they don't consider that part of their job and, and I don't want kids, but I really look forward to being like an aunt and being like that extra adult, you know, and it seems that, yeah, you should be a good parent and guardian. But even if you aren't a parent or guardian, you should still be a good adult in a child's radius. Which Sylvia didn't have. Yeah, which Sylvia didn't have. You know, there's a lot of missed opportunities for a teacher of hers to say, hey, do you need something or that social worker to show back up again or, or even just a neighbor to to be more or a social worker to actually do their goddamn job yeah or even just a neighbor to be like hey kids you know you can talk to me if you want you know not in a creepy way but like to know make it known that they were a safe place i guess sylvia was malnourished her body was bruised and covered in sores in fact I guess they did a count of how many cigarette burns were on her, and there were over 150 cigarette burns. She was visibly not okay. Yeah. And no one stepped in to help. Well, and I I guess I would hope that nowadays that idea of like, oh, not my business, I would hope that that has changed, that people are more willing to say, hey, what, what, how did you get this? Or, or, you know, I I would hope that that has changed. (sighs) There's also a movie, An American Crime, if anyone wants to watch it. 
it's okay. But also, if you do get curious and you decide to Google Sylvia Likens, just be aware that her dead body is on the internet. And it's not something that you want to see. No images for that one. Also, my dog started growling in his sleep a little bit, so he is he is not having this story. <laughs> he also thinks that Gertrude is a piece of shit. He's like, I will bite you. I don't really know how, because I am a little silly boy, but I will do it. Well, that is the end of my story. Ugh, Lord in heaven. Sweet Satan down below. <sighs> That's a rough one. Do you need to break and get a little snack? I mean, I do want a snack, but we should, uh, we should move forward. Okay, well, listen, that is... That one's sad, anyway. That one is really sad. Okay, so my story is not as sad. It is kind of funny, honestly. <laughs> Uh, or will seem funny after that. So I'm going to start off. In June 2010, a man named Bobby Thompson disappeared from Florida. People, including U.S. Marshals, would look for him for three years before finding him in Portland, Oregon. But in reality, Bobby Thompson had been outside. He had been in Portland all along. It turned out that there were two Bobby Thompsons. The real Bobby Thompson had been in Portland forever, and the fraudulent Bobby Thompson was actually caught outside Seattle. So, who was this fraudulent Bobby Thompson, and why were people looking for him? Well, buckle up, because this is a crazy story that should probably be a movie. Are we going on a crazy ride? We are going on a crazy ride. So, uh, in 2002, the fake Bobby Thompson, and I'm just going to call him Bobby Thompson from now on because it's too confusing. Apologies to the real Bobby Thompson. He founded a charity. Uh, it's called the U.S. Navy Veterans Association, and it's been around since 1927. Did you, did you note some weird math there? Wait, hold on. The U.S. Navy? He, he, okay. In 2002... Bobby Thompson founded a charity called the U.S. Navy Veterans Association, and it's been around since 1927. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, that's because it's weird and all a fraud. He founded a fake charity and got a lot of money from it. But before they found out that it was a fraud, it claimed 66,000 members, 12 senior leaders, 41 chapters, and a 2,500-page website full of annual report. In 2008, he actually did give out $28,000 to actual cases, but he did also give out hundreds of thousands of dollars to political campaigns. Now, you may be saying, how is that different from any other charity? That's what charities do. They give money out to people, and they also, you know, campaign to change policies and whatnot. Par for the course. Sure. Except that even hundreds of thousands of dollars is a very small amount. At, at the peak of this charity, they were getting $20 million a year. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. I want to bet. Can I get about $20 million? Yeah, they got over $100 million overall. And it was... Listen, if somebody just wants to give me, like, $2 million, I'd be good with that, it too. It was all fake. A lot of the senior leaders were just totally made up. One, there was one co-signer, um, and she was like, I just signed where he told me to. He got real donations from people that he would hire telemarketing firms to cold call and ask for donations. Wow. Talk talk about the banality of evil. <laughs> telemarketing. I don't know. I feel like telemarketing is, in its roots, very, very, very sinister. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's just, it's weird. It's a weird thing. 
I donate to Planned Parenthood monthly and Planned Parenthood called me to be like, do you want to give us extra money this holiday season? And I wanted to be like, what? Why? (laughs) Come on. But there was just something so weird about a stranger calling me and being like, I know that you give us money. Can you give me more? And it's like, I don't fucking know you. This is creepy. Like telemarketing does feel very weird. And maybe that's just because we're living in the era of cell phones, but... I don't know. It's it's weird. Right. Someone can basically always have access to you if they call you. I know that we are not that old, but like when I was growing up, everyone was in the phone book and sometimes your address was too. And literally they just deliver the phone book to every house. And like, I remember being mad because my dad would only list his name and my last and, you know, his full name. So it was just his name and I was like you can put all of our names like it can say the whole family's name and he wouldn't do it and I remember being so mad and in hindsight now I'm like why would you want to advertise who lives in that house like obviously there are children here and I don't it was just phone books seem so weird now like why would you just deliver to everyone in your town where you live also um do you remember using the phone book to look up like pizza places yeah oh or did you ever call in the uh radio to request songs yes of course oh yeah yeah oh man anyway those were the days yeah if you're too (laughs) young to remember these things you're probably too young to be listening to this podcast (laughs) that's not true don't don't listen to her you can listen if you want to oh god okay well now Someone's good mom and someone's bad mom. Great. I just have to be the disciplinarian all over again. You come home from work and it's just fun, fun, fun. And then there's mean mommy over here making them eat their vegetables. Just shut up and drink some wine already. (laughs) (laughs) This this is our future marriage, Emily, just so you know. I'm okay with that. Daniel and Taylor can take care of the pets. They can clean out the boxes and then we'll just get all the pets, all the cuddles. All of our 10 cats. (laughs) (laughs) so bobby thompson hired telemarketing firms 100 million dollars he said that they the charity ostensibly would help veterans or i just i got lots of different tales of what it did it sent said or it said it claimed to send care packages to troops overseas it was also said that they just help veterans like one time they said they paid five thousand or $6,000 in groceries, like helping veterans with groceries. Seems like kind of a shadow dance of what they actually did. I also said that they donated to political candidates. Guess which ones? I have no idea. Republicans! <laughs> oh, I'm really shocked. Can you hear the surprise in my voice? I, you sound like you just fell off your chair. He donated to John McCain, Mitt Romney, Michelle Bachman. Do you remember Michelle Bachman? Oh my gosh, so yes. Really intense eyes. My friend, I had a friend who was like, Michelle Bachman is a witch. And I'm like, what do you mean? And she's like, she's just a witch. Like, there was never, <laughs> there was never any further explanation of what that meant. <laughs> Which I just, for months, ugh, that witch, Michelle Bachman. And it wasn't like calling her a bitch. It was just like, no, she is literally a witch. Oh, this is the best joke ever. He shook hands with George W. Bush, who was president at the time. He, like, when people knew him, they said he was kind of weird. He had kind of like a a mullet with like an Elvis fluff up top. And he was like a really intense guy. Like he had a, that picture of him 
shaking hands with W and he gave his dentist three coffee mugs with that photo on it, which is just <laughs> the strangest detail I have ever heard. One, why do you give your dentist a present? Two, why is it three identical coffee mugs? Three, why is it a coffee mug with a picture of you shaking hands with George W. Bush on it? There's so many questions. It's just the strangest thing. And I feel like it's something that I would see at a thrift store and be like, this is hilarious. So if anybody ever finds a mug at a thrift store with a guy with a mullet shaking hands with George W. Bush, it's probably this guy. Uh, And you should buy it and send it to me. I feel like I need to send you a mug with my face on it now and like you shaking hands with a badly photoshopped george w bush i was or like a cat you know i'll use what resources i have find the picture of this guy shaking hands with george w bush and you just like put your face inside his hairdo and then put a cat (laughs) face inside george w bush's hairdo that i like how its face is going inside of a hairdo (laughs) You know what I mean. <laughs> also, as an aside, I will say that when I was a teenager and W was president, uh, one of my cousins, I have like 20 cousins on one of side. Um, my cousin was a lobbyist for like cattle ranchers and she had a picture where she's ha- shaking hands with George W. Bush. And my dad was like, who used to be a Republican and is now quite hippy dippy but he was like really proud and like showed me the picture and like isn't this cool and i was like one i hated george w bush and two like peak teenager i think i was just like he's a jerk i don't want to meet him <laughs> it's like <laughs> the- no that's not cool <laughs> uh, so i mean first off he's a jerk i don't want to meet him i, I mean, feel like i still kind of feel that way <laughs> i'm just saying that's like a. 14-year-old boy kind of thing to say. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. Okay, so Bobby Thompson is funding Republicans with stolen funds. So how did he get caught? How did he get busted? And this is where the story just gets weirder and weirder and crazier. And okay, this guy, like, set up a fraudulent charity, whatever. But then it just takes a left turn. It takes many left turns. So this is how he got busted. There's a reporter named Jeff Testerman, and I really want to shout his name out there because this is a perfect example of a good reporter, of of investigating and doing what you're supposed to and and not being quiet and complacent. So anyway, he thought that a county official in Tampa, Florida had lied about his military record. Uh, which I believe is called Stolen Valor, and it's illegal, and it's a shitty thing to do. So Jeff Testerman is investigating this guy, and he bumps into Bobby Thompson by accident and was like, hey, I'm going to call this guy just thinking I'm going to get a quote. And instead, he's like, this guy is weird. So he starts investigating him and is like, this guy is not what he seems. He publishes a story about it, and Thompson vanishes. They are trying to find him. They see him on, like, security footage in New York with a baseball hat on. They find out that Bobby Thompson is a fake name. And so U.S. Marshals are tracking this dude, and they don't even know his name. They don't know anything about him. They can't figure it out. When they finally do catch him, spoiler alert, they do catch him, they find out that he has dozens of stolen identities. Weirdly and sadly enough, including several uh, First Nations tribe members and the identity of an officer killed in the line of duty. What? Yeah, really sad. And the the real Bobby Thompson is 
I believe, if I remember right, like, a, an indigenous person. And, like, why those people? He had, like, at least two or three of that population that he stole their identity from. So, I don't know. It's very weird. So, they're, they're following this guy, and they get really close. Like, in 2012, police bust into an apartment in Providence, Rhode Island, and the landlord is there, and it has a pulpit, chairs, and religious paraphernalia. So, while he's a fugitive, he's trying to start a Christian charity. <laughs> Another time they went into a store and he had, like, just left out the back. Like, that's how close they are to catching this guy. They cannot catch him. So how do they finally catch him? Again, this is like a movie. The deputy marshal, Bill Bolden, is, they are in Portland. They are thinking, we're going to be here forever. And this poor Bill Bolden is like, all right, well, you know, I've been working hard. I've had a long day of tracing this ghost um you know chasing this guy who stole money and pretended to be for the troops um and i you know i know that he went to this pub where there were some transactions and and you know i'm i'm just gonna have a beer and he sits down at the bar and then he sends a text to his colleagues and the text says i think he's sitting right next to me (laughs) what he sat down next to the guy he'd been chasing Oh my god, that's so good. <laughs> uh-huh. So they follow him home and they arrest him. And where he's staying is this little room. It's Portland. So imagine a Portlandia skit. It's like this hippie woman and they have all these housemates and, you know, they probably listen to NPR and eat, you know, macrobiotic, healthy, gluten-free shit and the landlady is in bed and she hears her dog growl and one of the other people comes in and says we have a situation and so she goes downstairs and finds like a dozen u.s marshals and police officers in her living room and she's like what's going on and he's you know the marshal's like hey i'm so and so and we're here can i ask you some questions about dawn which is the name he was going by at this time and she's like is he okay and this is the quote from the article which again the movie writes itself. He goes, well, Dawn isn't Dawn. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. So they've been chasing this guy all over the place. Um, they, they take him to jail and they still don't know who he is. Like hits are not coming up on his fingerprints. He's like, I'm, I'm Bobby Thompson. I'm commander Bobby Thompson. I don't know what this is about. What's wrong with you people? So they do exactly what board call like board people and lazy college students all over the world do what do you think that is i don't know emily what is it they just googled it (laughs) (laughs) yeah they googled things like quote major fraud fugitives and just found a weird business it says a business insider article that are the 10 most intriguing white collar fugitives so they basically found a buzzfeed list of wacky criminals and this guy was on it. And that's how they figured out who he was. Wow. It is such a weird story. Um, so this this guy's name, his birth name is John Donald Cody. And he did not need to have a second life because he had an interesting life. He went to Harvard Law School. He had been in Army Intelligence. He was a lawyer in Arizona, which is just 
already there's a layer of scumbag on there. So he was a weirdo even in Arizona. There was a um, like a reporter who was doing a story on him and said that he he was a really like good lawyer by all accounts. Um, he really liked to like grandstand and talk, but his bedroom was just one little bed. There was a light stand and next to his bed were two piles. One was full of law books and the other was Playboy magazines. And that was like the <laughs> only thing in his house. That's all you need. I mean, I mean really. the law in today's. Okay. <laughs> they do have good articles. I mean... I mean, rumored to have good articles. Allegedly, so it goes. Anyway. And boobs. And boobs. And butts, probably. I don't know. So anyway, in Arizona, he this guy claimed that he spoke Italian and Tagalog. He reportedly did not have tear glands. Um, what? He, yeah, he um, started being under investigation for embezzling from dead clients. And then uh, also something about an espionage investigation, which I never could find anything else about. Is he like a pathological liar? He, I mean, he must be. It's just crazy. Yeah. So you think this is the end? They figure out who it is? Nope. It's even weirder. When he goes to court, he signs all his papers as Mr. X. He says his name is Bobby Thompson and that everything about Bobby Thompson and the U.S. Navy Veterans Association, which is his fake charity, is part of a CIA cover um, and that they're going to bail him out. And he subpoenas like Obama to testify. (laughs) Surprisingly, shockingly, Obama does not show up. Can't leave a bro hanging like that. I mean, yeah. And he is sentenced to 28 years and all appeals are denied. When he is arrested in Portland, they found that he had a storage unit and it had $981,000 in cash in there. That's some Walter White shit right there. Yeah, like... It's a lot of money. What do you... Why isn't that in a... I mean, I guess if it's in a bank, then there's a paper trail, but... Well, and the other thing that's weird, like, the big questions about this are like, well, how did he get away with it? And, like, why did he do it, right? I mean, the how is really sad, but I think it kind of ties into what you said about your story of, like, you know, people doing what they're told and, and sort of following authority. You know, everyone that gave quotes to reporters in the articles that I read was like, yeah, he was kind of a weirdo, but he was this, you know, proud to be an American Republican and he'd been in the Navy and other people have been in the Navy. And so I believed him because of that. Like the associations would to a certain population, give it credibility and people wouldn't look beyond that. And you can actually find that website and it's very like your Republican conservative relative just learned how to build a website. Um, <laughs> lots of like capital letters and waving flags and and strong language. And that's how he was able to get a lot of money, you know? Um, people rightly want to support those in the armed forces. And um, he tapped into that. But the why is a fucking mystery. He did not live large. Like, a lot of people, and I'll tell you some of these other people who embezzle from charities just spend it on themselves in, like, the most cliche ways possible. Like, it's depressing. But he didn't. Like, he lived everywhere he lived. People were, like, they were gross in tiny apartments, like, roach-infested. The things that he bought were, like, McDonald's milkshakes, hair dye. Like, just weird-ass shit. I mean... 
I would also light. buy McDonald's. Maybe not milkshakes, but definitely their fries. Ah, their fries are good. They're always so salty. Mm. Now I want french fries and funnel cake. What are you doing to me, oh, Emily? I'm just... We're going to eat a big happy meal after this. Um, <laughs> I hope so. He he said in court that the point of the charity was to help veterans, and he was a veteran, so... <laughs> <laughs> I mean... Do you get the Fair. feeling that maybe he just did it because he could? Yeah, I mean, there is a moment where this would be admirable if he wasn't being awful about it. Like, if instead of pretending to help veterans and embezzling the money, it was called, like, protect the American family, and it was helping, like, gay parents adopt or trans kids get support, and so you have these bigots donating to causes that they were rude about, that would be really cool. Like, instead, it's just really weird and puzzling. What a strange man. So, yeah, he hasn't, I don't take it he's made any further comments about any of it, other than his very snarky comment. Well, actually, there you would be wrong. In 2017, there is a really interesting article written by this guy named Daniel Fromson. It's for the Washingtonian, and I'll, I'll include a link to it because it's really good. And, you know, he's still alive. He's in jail. And he, this Daniel Fromson wrote to him and uh, I guess they exchanged letters. And he, he said that Cody is his birth name. Bobby Thompson is a lawfully given cover name. So he's sticking to that story. And he's a big Trump supporter. So there's that. <laughs> what, a, what an interesting man. I mean, it's, I, okay. I originally started out doing this story on people that embezzled from charities because it happens a lot and it's really depressing and it's really sad and then I bumped into this and I was like this is the fucking weirdest thing I have ever seen like a lot of embezzlers it seems like it's this weird one extreme or the other like they either admit what they did right away and are just like yeah I'm sorry I that was fucked up just totally remorseful which is weird or there are people like Bernie Madoff who like ruined thousands of people's lives and are just like whatever I wanted it like just Straight up dead inside. And and then there's this guy. <laughs> and then there's this guy that's just, like, again, like, living in his own kind of world. It's just weird. Well, it's definitely a nice break from the Lycan story. <laughs> uh, yeah. But, I mean, I will say, um, I mean, it is really funny. And like I said, there is this moment where it could have been really admirable. But one, he's never revealed what happened to the, like, $100 million he raised. They don't know. They have no idea. And and one of the way, one of the reasons why they don't know is that he was arrested for, like, fraud in, in, like, particular states where the people that he defrauded lived. Like, one was Ohio, um, and so he was extradited to Ohio. But, so they just pursued those cases. They didn't do this like federal case where they would need to trace and prove where he put it all and he's never said anything about it which is insane that is a lot of money to just it's disappeared yeah Yeah. and like i said it's not like he has this fancy car or anything and then also like the president of charity watch said um quote no one has ever made a bigger mockery of veterans politicians and charity and it is the the amount of people who, who defraud charities is terrifying. I'll just give you some other little ones. In 2016, a bookkeeper stole $800,000 from a legitimate National Veterans Services Fund by just writing checks to herself. 
Population Development International also was defrauded in 2012 from its president who stole $950,000 for personal use. Jesus. Another person stole money from a a breast chair or a breast cancer charity. I almost said breast charity. <laughs> That's a different thing because she had quote had a gambling problem and had to pay bills. Um, this one guy in 1995, his last name is Aramony. He stole 1.2 million dollars from a charity to I think it was a religious charity actually. To woo a 17-year-old girl. What? He was 59. Oh, God. His girlfriend was 17. He met the 17-year-old when he was dating her older sister. Uh, He gave them a salary, and he also set her up in a New York condo, gave her a chauffeur, renovated a home for her in Florida. They vacationed in Egypt, London, Las Vegas, and Atlantic City. It is just literally like the most cliche things you could possibly think of someone doing with stolen money. That is so trashy. (laughs) Yeah. And it's really sad because a lot of the people that do this work within the charity and that's really like sad and, you know, talk about taking advantage of vulnerable, vulnerable populations. Yeah. Well, we can start our own charity. What will our charity be? Donate money to Jennifer and Emily so that they can go on a cheese vacation. I was just going to say Jennifer's Fry Fund. <laughs> Jennifer's it's a, it's and Jennifer's very, Fry Fund. Jennifer's Fry Fund is a very outstanding charity. Um, they ask for very small donations, and 100% of the donations go to Fries for Jennifer. Yes. Um, Maybe sometimes Fries for Emily. Yeah, well, sure. On select days. I will just say, I don't want to end on this note by being like, all charities are full of embezzlers. That's not true. But if you you do have a charity in mind. There are two websites, Charity Watch and Charity Navigator, that like keep track of things like, does your charity have transparent financials? Um, you know, what percentage of funds go to what operations, like fundraising or the actual thing or outreach? And so that's a good thing to do. Do we have to publish our financials for our cheese vacation? I mean... I feel like you do have to publish your financials for the Jennifer Fry Fund, so keep your receipts for the $5 McDonald's fries. I'm just saying I might be a little bit embarrassed for people to find out how many french fries and how much cheese I'll actually consume. I am excited and impressed to look at your year-end financials <laughs> charity. You know, these embezzlers, like, they're never modest, are they? Like, they're never no. like, and uh, so-and-so got caught for embezzling $150 or $1,000. No, no, no. They're like, all go big or go home. Well, and the other thing that's weird about it is, like, I think they start out that way. Because, like, no one steals a big chunk of money. You know, this guy was getting, like, $20 here, $25 there. I And a lot of them are like, like that one lady I said, they wrote they write checks to themselves, you know? It's like, oh, I'm just going to skim 50 bucks I'll pay it back and then they don't pay it back and then they just go oh well I deserve this and then they you know I it it snowballs but yeah it is this idea of like entitlement in a way they definitely have some ego yeah very weird to me it reminds me I mean I was a journalism student and so we learned a lot about like Stephen Glass who wrote for the New York Times in like the 90s I think and 
just fucking made up made it up like didn't even make up quotes or facts like literally made up entire people and notes and stories and events and like I remember being in class and my friend was like man this making up seems like more work than just actually doing your job <laughs> and like that's what I feel like about a lot of this like this Bobby Thompson guy like that was a lot of the setting up this fake charity and squirreling away money was like way more work than just getting a actual job. Like, like being a lawyer. Yeah. Being a lawyer. Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, honestly, a life of crime just sounds exhausting. Yeah. I mean, you have so much to look out for. Like you have to always be looking over your shoulder and you have to figure out how to get your money right. Well, and he's also not very good at disappearing because he had that, remember how I said he had like a mullet with like a froofy thing up top? Yes. Like a pompadour? Yeah, that was, yeah, a pompadour. He had that signature look his whole life and that's one way that they knew it was him and they caught him was because they're like, listen, you've got the same stupid hairdo. Nobody else wears this. So, was he dying that stupid hairdo as well? Uh, yeah, because he was going gray, and then he was, like, dying it, you know, to look younger. A lot, lot like of love put into that hair. He, yeah, he was proud of it. It's, I was watching a YouTube video about, like, spies, because as we learned in the last episode, I'm a big nerd and I like spies, but it was, like, this former, this woman who worked at the CIA talking about if you are a spy, you have to be almost like an actor. You have to be really aware of, like yourself and your tics and what stands out and you have to change that and you have to change it so much that the change becomes natural and a lot of people who try to like fake their own death and disappear can't do that the video i was watching was saying that like when americans eat they like switch their fork back and forth between their hand you know like you put the knife in one hand and then you put the fork in the other hand and she's like europeans don't do that so like if i was looking for someone who is american that's what i would look for is someone who uses their fork that way and i was like i've never thought of that before but they're just little things like that or like oh, do you like popcorn or not? Or do you like, you know, salty food or sweet food? Like, those are the ways that people who try to disappear get caught. And this guy didn't do any of that. So it's kind of insane that they didn't catch him sooner. What are your tics, Emily? Um, I mean, I really don't like horses. So, like, honestly, if I was going to disappear, which now I can't do it, I would probably just be like, I love horses. Go live on a horse ranch? Hang out with yeah. horses? I did start training myself to eat in a European manner with a fork just because I was like, well, who knows when that will come in handy. <laughs> I might need this one day. I might need this one day. Yeah. Jennifer, do you want to end on a happy note I, or a, an uplifting note? I would love to. Do you have a charity that you would like to shout out that does not give money to list to crazy people who say that they are working for the CIA and will try to subpoena Obama, but instead do good work I mean, that you would like people to give money to. Yes. I mean, of course, Planned Parenthood is a good one, but also um, I like Austin Pets Alive. Oh, Whitney always has an exclamation mark. Yes. Austin Pets Alive! Yes. <laughs> Just so you know that those pets are very alive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They definitely helped me out a lot when I first got to Austin, and uh, they do really good work, not just in the Austin area, uh, for example. They did help with Hurricane Harvey and animal rescue for that, 
providing food, water, and medical services, as well as asking no questions about animals, all kinds of animals. Like, I saw, like, a real live chicken and pig (laughs) in in the area, but basically um, they took in a bunch of animals and helped coordinate with other no-kill shelters across the country to take in these animals after the hurricane hit. So Austin Pets Alive does good work. Austin Pets Alive is awesome. I would love to talk about uh, the Joyful Heart Foundation, which many people are aware of. They are the people that helm up end the backlog, um, which if you don't know, even though many people do not report their sexual assaults, those that do um, get kits. And in many, many states, there was a huge backlog of those kits. And this charity helps to um, clear those backlogs, which they just did in Georgia and Texas as well. Your state cleared their backlog this year. And they also do a lot of outreach and accountability. They do a lot of changing of laws for sexual assault survivors and also RAIN, which is the Rape, Abuse, Incest National Network. I can never remember what that sounds for. But they do a uh, 24-hour hotline. I would also encourage you guys to look up your local, I don't know what to call, uh, your local version of RAIN. um, Because in a lot of cases, your grassroots uh, shelter or sexual assault outreach um, will also have a 24-hour hotline and provide legal and counseling services and help get women and men out of dangerous situations and into safe places. So... Um, those are all really, really cool. So, hooray. You came prepared with way more charities than I do. It's almost like I didn't know we were going to talk about charities. <laughs> I did. I I do talk about the Joyful Heart Foundation and Rain a lot. So I am, I am always ready to talk about Rain, Joyful Heart Foundation, and malaria. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, just at any point I invite me to parties guys I'll talk about cats I will talk about malaria and I will talk about charities that you should give money to it's just (laughs) who doesn't want that at their party Bobby Thompson he doesn't want that Bobby Thompson though you you should invite him to one of your parties I he's still in jail well when he gets out no big deal Mm, okay well that's gonna be in like Listen, he went to jail. He went to jail when he was sixty-nine <laughs> uh, for twenty-eight years. So he's gonna be like a hundred years old when he gets out. His appeals are denied. Well, it sounds like uh, he'll really want to go to a party after that. Then I know he he is gonna have a lot of time to practice making that sweet sweet toilet wine. Ah, <laughs> uh, gross. Uh, yeah, super gross. Jennifer, did you learn anything today? Did we ever learn anything? I'm not sure. I just feel uncomfortable about living in the world every day. Well, there are still fries. There are still fries. And that provides me very, very satisfying, salty comfort. Yeah. Mm. Hashtag satisfying, salty comfort. Salty comfort. It's it's like an off-brand of like a really, really, really shitty bourbon. It's like why are you gonna get why are you gonna get southern comfort? You can get salty comfort. You can get satisfying salty comfort. <laughs> for when for when you when your expo really does you wrong. Right. When you're like, I literally don't care if this makes me blind. I just need to get drunk. 
satisfying salty comfort. <laughs> it could also be like, I don't know. I feel like it's almost like a tampon commercial. Oh no. <laughs> this is why I don't have that friends. Is the worst tampon ever. <laughs> Oh my god, I have to pee, I have to end it, I have to leave, oh, just smack that idea out of my head. All Things Terror is written, recorded, and produced by two amateurs, Jennifer and Emily. Their sound editor is Clint with music by Cosimo Fogg. We're available on Twitter at All Things Terror and Instagram at All Things Terror Podcast. There, we post all kinds of extras. Like, for example, when Bobby Thompson was caught, they also found in his storage unit two DVDs of Catch Me If You Can, that Leonardo DiCaprio movie that is basically the same plot as his life. So weird. Uh, so come check us out and tell us what kind of terrifying stories you like to hear. Hashtag satisfying salty comfort. See you next time.